This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 1999's Lover Lane, directed by John Ward. But first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Um, I have been consumed by Love Island, so a reality show. Yeah. Yes. Um, if, is it Australian? So there is an Australian one. There's a UK one. There's an Australian okay. one, and there's an American one. Um, and I started the American one, and I got one episode in, and a friend of mine was like, I like told her I was like, oh, I'm watching Love Island, and she's like, the British one. I was like, no, the American one, and she's like, it sucks. Watch the British one. And I was like, okay, so I switched because I was one episode in. Um, and the British one absolutely completely fell in love with it. Um, it's so the whole premise is, you know, young singles go to an Island. Um, this one's in South Africa and they're like, they live in a villa by themselves. And the whole point is to find someone that you fall in love with. And it is like those other, like it's, it is like any other reality show where like people are going in and out um but what's interesting about love island is it's like it's huge in the uk right like it's massive and when love island airs there it's daily it's six out of seven days a week um for 50 days it's a month and a half it's six weeks long so and it's daily and and once you get far enough in they start letting people vote for people to leave um and so it's like big brother or something kind of but but what's really interesting, and this is what I've discovered about like England, well, it's the UK because there's people from England, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, um, and what I've discovered about their audience is they're not a bunch of asshole trolls like America. Because like I know for a fact in America that we would like vote like if it was super popular, people would vote for like you know because like it gets to a point where it's like okay, these couples are safe and like now you have, like you have to vote um, who gets to stay, right? And I really feel like in America, they'd be like, we're going to vote for the most dramatic couple to stay because we want drama. But like legit in the UK, it's always the couple that like actually has a chance at love because they like actually want them to succeed. So I'm like, oh, that's sweet. Like they're actually getting a shot at love. Cultural difference. It's very like culturally cult- – culturally different and what i did find out too because i'm watching it, i'm like this is wild because like 
They never get drunk. Like they have alcohol, but they like never get drunk. They go to bed at 8.30 and like all this stuff. And I found out early seasons, they did do all that. And it was like wild. So I haven't watched those yet. I only watched the newest season, but early seasons, they like drank as much as they wanted to, stayed up, partied. They were just like having sex on camera because, you know, it's like way more liberal about that stuff in like the UK. Um, But in a like kind of macabre twist um like three people from love island have committed suicide after being on the show uh yeah i thought that's what i heard about but i thought that was the australian version but i mean i don't yeah, know so yeah it was the british one and um so they said they made all these rules about like you can only have two drinks a night um and like you have to go to bed at this time like they actually like put a focus on making sure that they weren't you know, putting themselves in harmful situations as far as mental health goes. But it's still like a really, like you don't need all that drama because like it's a really sweet, endearing show. And what you end up like, you fall in love with these people because they develop this like sense of camaraderie and friendship that's super endearing and like just really sweet. And you end up like rooting for them. And um, it's like the exact opposite of a lot of American television, uh, like reality television. So uh, I I devoured it. I mean, it was the season I watched was the newest one, which got cut short because of COVID. So instead of 50 episodes, it was 36, but I like killed it in two days. So I'm going to go back and watch. I am watching the American one now that was actually filmed during COVID. Um, It was filmed in Las Vegas on the top of a hotel. And uh, yeah, so I'm watching that one now, but anyone who's listened to the show before knows that I love reality TV, like dating reality TV. And, um, I am all caught up on the bachelor. <laughs> I'm all caught up on the bachelor. Um, so, you know, I need something to fill in my time between the weeks and, uh, love Island. And like when I found out, I'm like, it's how many episodes it's 50 episodes. Yes. I am a hundred percent going to watch this shit. <laughs> You're insane. It's, You're absolutely insane. It's great. Everyone should watch it. It's on I Hulu. I feel like I would watch it more if there were more successful couples. That's such the hard part about like I watch here and there. Like Ben and I will watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. We tend to like The Bachelorette better. We tried this new Bachelor. Could not possibly get through it. We tried like three episodes. We're like, ah, we'll try next season. I like him. Um Mm-mm, not for us. I mean, teach their own. I mean, he seems like a fine, fine young man, but it does get really exhausting when you invest sort of this ridiculous amount of time with these people on this journey. And you, you would like to believe that they're genuinely there to find a spouse and the show's over and it's like, oh, we broke off our engagement or we broke up or like it doesn't even get to, they're not even together when by the time the show has finished airing and it's like why what was the point so you could be on tv like i don't want to watch that like i genuinely want to see people who are looking for like what i have like i don't know like a long lasting loving marriage i don't know so so i get it entertaining but so this is this might actually might get you into watching at least the newest season of love island because they get down to a final four right that's what they do they get down to mm-hmm. a three of the four are still together so um and then also out of the final five four of the five are still together so like they and like oh for they've now all hit over a year so 
I mean, it's a year, but like still like it was kind of nice because I do the same thing, right? Anytime I finish a show, I'm like, all right, let's see if they're still together. And I looked and I was like, hell of them are still together. And not only that, they, yeah, they like took their, like almost all of them like took their relationship to the next like level. They like moved in together. Um, like, um, one, like one of the couples got a dog. Um, the other couple is rumored to be pregnant, but I looked and I was like, oh, this actually makes me so happy that they're still together because, um, well, on HBO, they put up all the, like, not all of them, but a lot of the old seasons of The Bachelor. So I've been just, like, killing those. And I went and looked. I'm like, how many? And I'm like, oh, there have been tw- like there have been 28 seasons, and I think four, four or five yeah. are still are still together. And only, yeah. and now, only one couple from Bachelor in Paradise um, is still together that happened in Paradise. And there's one couple that what met on paradise and they're together but it didn't happen on paradise yeah the bachelor franchise track record is absolutely atrocious but i seems like some dirt is they wish some dirt could come out not the bachelor but the bachelor nation as they call it the people who are in it like you can tell are starting to get a little frustrated with uh you know i just think there's a ton of I don't think I a hundred percent know there's a ridiculous amount of producer influences and they care more about the ratings than they do about the people on the show and them actually finding a true connection. Mm-hmm. And if you like look it up, pretty much anybody who works on the show or people who have been on the show have sort of slyly said because they're like sworn to so many fucking like NDRs and whatever to not speak ill of ABC for like the rest of their lives. But that shit just makes me sad, like preying on people. And I don't know. Anywho, maybe it's a cultural thing. Fuck America. Maybe Ben and I will have to watch some UK uh, reality shows. Yeah. But that's uh that's literally all of my time outside of like work and, and work. So you know what? Sometimes we need shit like that. Oh, yeah. 100%. We just need that filler stuff. Yeah, we're on crunch time for the new zine. So it's like... Um, it's busy with that it's stuff. Busy. Yeah, I get home from work and then it's like a, trying to get all that stuff. And then because the way our the way it works is we put the new one out and launch like the, the pitch for the next one. So it's like, it's like really busy back to back. And then we kind of have this lull in the middle when Tyler's designing the whole thing where it's just him working. But I feel so bad. I'm, yeah, I'm always like, Tyler, like, do you need me to hire another graphic designer? Cause I will. And he's like, no, I love it. It's cathartic for me. I was like, as long as you're getting something out of it, like I'm cool with that. Right. Uh, like the day that it's not anymore, that's when we need to have a talk. But yeah, so we're in crunch time right now. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll plug it. I rarely do, but check out um, the We Are Horror Zine, our new issue. It'll be our fourth issue. Hits um, the sixteenth, um, so just a little after Valentine's Day. And the theme is um, love and obsession. And then we did announce our theme for the next issue, um, which is undead. Um, we didn't want to do zombies because we found out none of the editors really care for zombie stuff, but zombies are very popular, but we figured by doing undead, it kind of opens it up to a little bit more. So, so vampires. Yeah, exactly. Vampires. Yeah. Like we all, <laughs> we all immediately were just like, yeah, we'll get vampire pitches. We know we'll get some zombie pitches and like, we'll take them. None of us are fans of zombie movies, but um, like 
obviously there's a huge fan base out there. But yeah, so that'll be out. So check it out if you can. Um, and that's that's it. That's what I've been doing. And uh, yeah. yeah, I've been doing the opposite of Ryan. I've like dove into some fucking like not easy cathartic stuff. So I yeah, you read Paul Tremblay. <laughs> Oh, dude. So every year I make like a reading goal for myself and I, I got really close last year to meet, meeting my reading goal. Um, I wanted to read 24 books, like AK two a month. And I read 18 still feel really good about that. But this year I was like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to make the 24. I didn't try and make it any bigger. I'm like, I still want to do the 24, but like I try and vote trying to focus on, I'd like to read a a little bit more horror. I read a ton of thrillers and suspense books, but not a lot of actual horror um, because I find it harder to read, honestly. Um, I obviously love the genre in general, um, but it's way scarier for me to read it, which I think most people will agree with than it is to watch it. And I always get so ridiculously invested in the characters that it's just hard for me and I'm pregnant. And so I'm like extra empathetic and emotional and that's never very helpful either, but damn it all. Let me just sit in my misery. So I'm going to read more horror. Um, <laughs> so I started, I asked for like some recommendations and I know like our good friend Aaron Dries is a big um, Paul Tremblay fan and I was just looking up some like best of lifts in general and like his novel Survivor Song popped up on a few. NPR had like a really good list of like the top horror of 2020 and I actually snagged a bunch from that list that um, seemed like the type of horror I'd be interested. Um, I, I have learned that I'm not super into things that are really like on the more sci-fi side or take like a little bit too much into like horror fantasy I it's just not really for me um books that I know are amazing and I would think I would love um for example like American Gods I just for whatever reason cannot get through the book and I've tried like four or five times I'm like it's just not the genre for me um which is totally fine so with that, I was like, went in blindly with Survivor Song. I didn't read the synopsis. I didn't really want to know what it was about. I saw it was kind of a quicker read and it was just beloved. <sighs> Let me tell you, I get fucking 10 minutes into this book and I come out and look at my dear, dear husband and said, cool. So I just started this book and this is what's happened so far 10 minutes in. Um, a woman who is 38 weeks pregnant, is my protagonist. And she's found herself in her house with all of the lights off because they have uh, no power at the moment because there is a virus epidemic raging through her New England town um, that is... <laughs> Uh, afflicting her life and her husband's at the the grocery store trying to get them groceries and is in like a crazy line just trying to get like food rations. And I'm like, did I have to pick a fucking book that hit so close to home? Yeah. Um, granted, like the day before, like we had a massive storm for back, California. Power and our, 
our power went out and we didn't have power from like 2 a.m. to like 10 a.m. We woke up to a pitch black house that was freezing. We had no cell service. We had to drive around in our car for two hours because, I mean, we have a toddler. We can't sit in a freezing dark house. Um, And we had like no cell reception. So we just kind of had to leave. I was like, fuck, why? But I got hooked so instantly. Normally that'd be like my, nope, I can't do this. But I was hooked so quickly that I was like, well, I guess I'm reading this because I need to know what happens. Um, So it is about – that is our protagonist. Uh, It happens within a one day. So the entire novel is just one day and it's about this woman dealing with the circumstances of this virus that is a form of advanced rabies that is – acts insanely quickly in all forms um, and is essentially, speaking of zombies, creating zombie-like people because of the virus. Um, It was super hard to read, uh, but super well done. Um, Scary, uh, poetic, uh, really makes you think especially because of how much it mirrors what we've gone through in the last year um it's a hundred percent a commentary on what our society has been doing since COVID 19 broke out um so i highly recommend it maybe don't read it if you're pregnant like me i was a little harder to read because of that um it took i had to take a break and i couldn't read like the last two chapters it took me a couple days because i knew what was coming (laughs) and i was like okay i'm not ready for this i need like to work myself up to it um but i'm really glad i read it and i'm excited to go back and read his other books because i mean i'm officially i've read one of his books um i read his book of short stories no i Right? That's I one. own Cabin at the End of the World and I own Head Full of Ghosts, but I haven't read either of them. Um, the uh, But I read his book of short stories because I go through like, just like how I am with movies and television, like you know this after being my best friend for years where I fluctuate where I'm like, okay, I just want to consume movies, but then I'll go through my periods where I'm like TV, TV, TV. It's the same thing with books where I'm like, okay, I want like a full length mm-hmm. novel or I'll go through like portions where I'm like, I just want some shorts. So just hit me with like a book of shorts. And I picked his up. I think I picked up like his, him and Joe Hill and Stephen King. I think all three put out a book of shorts in the same year. Um, and his is called, oh shit. Um, I can't remember. Uh, something about growing, but it was really, really good. Um, I really liked it. And I definitely liked his style, growing things. Yeah, it's called Growing Things and Other Stories. Um, there, it was interesting though. There were a couple stories in it that I was like, he leaves endings off in those shorts very ambiguous, which I am not a fan of. I'm not a big fan of ambiguous endings. Um, I'm like, so I'm like, ah, like those I didn't love, but I I did even even though I didn't love the ending, I really liked the journey there, and that that wasn't all of them either. So uh, it was definitely enough to make me go like, oh, I want to read more of this guy's books. So I'll I'll pick up the yeah. other two probably pretty soon. I picked up I want to read the one you showed me that I got. I keep forgetting the name, which is something about witches burning. Um Oh yeah. These witches yeah. don't burn. Ooh. So I picked yeah. that. It's I picked so that and um Clown and Cornfield up. Um, because everyone keeps saying it's like a slasher book, and I know it's 
I know. I'm so upset. So I have Clown in the Cornfield from the library right now, but it's a it's an EPUB. It's an ebook and not an audiobook. And I literally have not every time I get in bed to read it, I fall asleep yeah. immediately. Like I just haven't had the time to read a book. And anytime I do, my body's just like, Oh, you're laying yeah. down, sleep. Sleep now, woman. <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to like renew my yeah. way on it. Um, it doesn't have an audiobook, so I'm going to have to like force myself to find the time to read it during the day <laughs> at some point. But that pick Liam's now. That's on my thing. list. And I know that guy's mentioning yeah. Aaron. I know Aaron is friends with Adam too. So always like to support those, yeah. those indie guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I definitely reading more and, I plan on – if you like me talking about books and stuff, um, I plan to uh, do some more content that's specific to like book reviews. Um, and so I'll keep you guys updated on that, um, especially diving into more of like the horror and and then, of course, the thriller stuff. Um, so because I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. Um, I also watched – um, the new Netflix film, Malcolm and Marie. Did you I watch did. That? Very, very divisive reviews yeah. on that movie. Ooh, it is. So I'm curious to hear what you think. Um, so it's directed by, directed and written by Sam Levinson. It stars Zendaya and John David Washington. Um, and if you don't know, the quick little synopsis is like a director and his girlfriend's relationship is tested after they return home from his movie premiere and await critics' responses. So yeah, it's a like one evening one set movie um it's like filmed in like black and white film um very specific style choices um and it you know it's just the two actors uh yeah what'd you think ray i want to hear your thoughts um you know i definitely didn't like so it's it, um, it's always interesting with movies like this right because like the older i get and the more i become aware of things and like try to like and like you, you were actually one of the first person to really like first people to really challenge me on things like this is like, maybe there are some things that I don't understand. Cause I don't understand like black cultural reference, you know, like, and, and I can try my best to empathize and I can um, like support like those things. And also like recognize those messages, but you know, there are certain things that just will not click with me the same way they do with with um you know with black people and like i remember the first time one of the times you brought that up was actually scream three because it takes place in like detroit and it's like very urban and i was like yeah it's just like not for me and you're like i wonder if they were trying to appeal more to like a black audience because it is a largely black cast. the screen yeah, tv yeah, show yeah, scream season three, three. Yeah. yeah and so that's this is one of those movies because so i i mostly liked it um, but the reviews I saw for it, like, tore it up. But it was also a lot of the reviews I saw for it were mostly black critics. And um, mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that there is some, like, there's something there, right? Like, that, like, they're mm -hmm. viewing it from a different lens than I am, you know? Like, I go in and I, like, the way I walk away from that movie is two very, very talented actors put, putting mm -hmm. on powerhouse performances um, and so that's what I walk away from it as it didn't completely land with me. I thought it's one of those movies that I'm like, holy shit, both of them acted their ass off, 
but there are still things I didn't love about it. Um, it, it, it does seem a little self-indulgent at sometimes, but from the direct, but mm-hmm. like from the director um, perspective, because he also wrote it, you know, Sam Levinson. And so like, there's sometimes where I'm like, okay, like how much of this is a mirror? And like a, a lot of it does seem a little self-indulgent, but um, like at the end of the day, I did walk away from it going like, you know, I gave it a three out of five, which is good. Like those people who don't understand, who yeah. don't understand letterboxes are like three. I'm like, three is good. Like for me, like one is like, oh my God, don't watch this. Two is like, it was whatever. Like, it's like, I'll never watch it again, but like, I don't hate that I saw it. And then three is good. Right. And then like four is like, four is, you know, the step up, like five is like, oh my God, amazing. And then four is like, Wow, that was really good. So, like three, three for me is always like, yeah, that was good. Like it was a good movie. Um, right. Yeah. Everybody reviews differently. My letterbox is one. I hated it. Two stars. I didn't like it. Three stars. I liked it. Four stars. I really liked it. Five stars. Right. I loved it. Um, but I, I will say, I do think that. that both of them are just getting started with their careers. Um, you know, like realistically, I know they've both been acting for a while, but they're really starting to come into their own. They're really starting to get taken seriously. And I think, I think mm-hmm. they absolutely both deserve it. Um, you know, Zendaya between euphoria and this, uh, I I've liked her in everything I've seen her in. Um, you know, I really liked, uh, obviously Spider-Man and then, um, what's the musical, Greatest Showman. Um, I, I liked both of those a lot. Um, and I've only seen him in this and Tenet, which that's a whole different discussion. But but I liked him in Tenet. So, um, See, I know him. I haven't seen Tenet. I know him from Ballers. Oh, I didn't know he was in that. The HBO show. Yeah, and he plays Ricky, like a super – and it's a pure comedy role. Super, like – typical like I'm the best like football player like jokester I did had no idea until I was like oh I've never seen this guy in anything and I looked up his IMDB and I'm like he is not Ricky and Ballers like absolutely not just further testament to like like his power of an actor that there's no part of my brain even though I look at it I'm like well of course it's him it looks just like him did not connect the dots whatsoever it's like polar opposite characters Um, but yeah I think that's the only thing I've seen him in in ballers which is excellent by the way the show is over but especially if you're a football fan it's very interesting it's on HBO yeah I keep wanting to watch it because I know you and Beth loved it you'll love it and i love the rock so um and i yeah i didn't know he was denzel's son until i think they were doing the press junket for yeah he's denzel's son i didn't know that until they did the press junket for uh doesn't feel like denzel washington should be old enough to have i know right that's what i thought too i was like wait i know but denzel's like in his 60s so yeah he is yes he is I don't oh. believe it. He's like permanently like yeah. 40. No, forever. I mean he looks great. Um oh, Yeah, but uh Yeah, I mean yeah. I feel really similarly. Um I thought it was acted out the ass. I enjoyed the style of the very specific cinematography and like realism type shoot. Felt very self-indulgent. It felt very much almost like a lot of the th- the di- the dialogue felt super weak to me. Like these like actors acting their asses off with like 
honestly kind of mediocre material that is so much better in in their hands is what it felt like. Like in much less talented hands, it would have fallen even flatter than I think it did feel. Um, normally movies like this leave me with such an impression that I'm like sort of rocked by it and it stays with me. And at first I was like, yeah, I liked that because I do like movies like this. And then even just like an hour or two hours afterwards, I was like, oh, like actually it wasn't great. Like it was okay. Um, and that's kind of how I left – I left feeling like it really lacked in the writing and, and would have been served better by better writing. I also found it really strange. And it's kind of like where I said, like, not really the person to talk on this. And like, there's a plethora of black critics you can go to who've talked about this movie. But I did find it very strange that it is a movie directed and written by a white man that is so heavily rooted in mm -hmm. this in black culture and this narrative of like how these and it's about being black but also not about like being black and that's part of the whole point of like Malcolm's character and he gets into just at nauseum uh, levels of conversations about people making his work political because he's black and then I just you know made the assumption because of all the things being stated in the film that the writer would then have been black. And then when I found out he was white and the same guy who does Euphoria, I'm like, that feels strange mm -hmm. to me. Like it just feels a little weird that he's speaking on something that he doesn't have personal experience with, which isn't always necessary in film. Right. Um, you can write about experiences you do not know. Um, but this is super specific. Um, and so if you watch the film, you'll, you'll know what he's talking about. And it's super specific in like a context of film. So it almost felt like the writer was writing about things that would have been said about this movie before it was said, if that makes sense. Like he was writing the film, anticipating what critics would say. Oh, yeah. About it. no, that, yeah. It's almost mm -hmm. what it felt like. And that's, that's sort of like the self-indulgent thing where it felt like self-referential to the reality of this movie existing in our yeah. world. Um, so it was strange. Um, yeah, it's super divisive. I super get, get why I don't think it's a bad film. And like I said, I mean, I did enjoy it. Um, I just think, I think it's a movie I would have loved in high school. Yes. Especially yes. without having seen a lot of, uh, other films or films kind of like this in the style, I would have been like, oh my God, all yeah. about it. And then when I watched other films, I'd be like, oh, okay. So that one's like less superior. Right. Um, I don't know. Those are kind of my I agree. And, fairy and thoughts. You're, but you're it, right. It's yeah. super elevated by the performances. Um, like major, yeah. major props to both of them for just like killing it. And I love, I do love, I love the score and the soundtrack. Like, uh -huh. yeah. Love beautiful. it. I love how they integrated mm -hmm. the music into like the, the dialogue and and that then like the characters referenced and it was like part of moving their story forward were songs that they chose to play and everything 
like had this feeling of being in the 60s, but you know it's in modern times, but everything from the mid-century house they're in to the clothes that they're wearing to the music that they're playing is all very 60s to the fact that it's shot in black and white film and, and has this specific aesthetic look to it. But then we're set in modern. Like I love all of that. Like I said, I mean, there's lo- there's a lot to really like mm-hmm. about the movie. Um, it's just if you pick like a little bit too much into it, you go, oh, yep. okay. Like, it's easy to. I on. completely agree with you. Yeah. Um. Cool. So we're gonna move on to the movie that we are covering this week. Um. So if you have been, if you've stuck around um for a couple years now as you know we try to usually theme up b and i are both big seasonal watchers and we love theming our movies along with what's going on and it's this episode will drop uh right before valentine's day and we've already done both my bloody valentine's and valentine so um i remember about two years ago b and i watched the trailer for this movie and we're like let's try to do this and we finally did and that movie is lover's lane from 1999 um, the, the, the synopsis is 13 years ago on Valentine's Day, two young lovers were br- brutally murdered at Lover's Lane by a crazed killer wielding a steel hook. The killer was caught and sent to the state mental hospital. It's once again Valentine's Day, and the killer has escaped with revenge in his heart and a hook. These descriptions. Sexy teens Michael and Mandy join lover join friends at Lover's Lane, and soon the partygoers begin to disappear one slash at a time. Now it's up to the teens to stop the rampaging killer and make sure that history is not repeated. This was the synopsis that was on the back of the DVD, and it's worlds better than what was presented to me on Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb. I love all of the like grab ya lines. It makes me oh yeah, so the happy. one slash at a time. And the uh-huh. and the so hook. Bad. I do. I do love that they went full on classic killer with a hook, like full urban yeah. legend, like mm-hmm. urban legend. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's super good. Um, so it just snuck itself in the nineties. Came out December thirty first, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, it's it's one of our few nineties slashers, and I'm so thankful for that for that date. Um, who the f knows how much this was made for? I know it was shot on location in Washington. Um, this is pre-shipping everything to freaking Canada to make for pennies compared to what you can make it for here. Box office, I mean, I don't think it had I, a I'm box office. I'm pretty sure it was direct to TV. It had to be direct to DVD. I mean, this is not a, this is not a theatrical release. Uh nor is there much information on it, just in general. You really kind of have to dive. Um, I actually edited the Wikipedia page. I love when I get to do that um, because there's no reception on it. And so I found like a really old like archive Dread Central article about it that I put up. Yeah, it was like not even on their new site. It was like a legit archived from their old site that you can find when Googling. Um, (laughs) It's too good. Um, But yeah, as far as how people have received it, at least on like Rotten Tomatoes, there is an audience score of 31%. Um, In that like lone Dread Central review I found, uh, sort of the takeaway from it was down a few cold ones and enjoy a return to simpler times back when little things like scripts, budgets, and knowing winks were not required. And of course, this is in reference to the fact that this is post-scream, mm-hmm. but it is not a post-scream mm-hmm. film whatsoever. 
It is a paint by numbers oh, slasher. Um, and in and, and every way, it re- when we get into talking about what tropes it follows, man, does it follow the tropes and some of some of the worst ones that we are not too sad when they don't pop up. Um, it even goes for the tiny ones. So this is this is not self-referential. This is not post-scream. This is there's no nods or winks. This is, oh no, a dead body. Run. Oh no, the car won't start. Run. Like true blue slasher. Um, which I appreciate. And also, which is kind of funny because I know what you did last summer is also like a true blue slasher, like 80 slasher. And not post scream whatsoever, and the killer also has a hook hand. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I feel like Valentine is also a true blue slasher, but but it winks at the audience by by being so by subverting tropes, and so like it, it flips mm-hmm. a bunch of tropes on its head. So even though it doesn't get super meta, it like urban legend and like scream do, it does very much like still wink at the audience by being like we know what you're used to but this is not it and we're gonna flip it yeah and this is which it's it's interesting timing so i have um the novel men women and chainsaws and i mean it's an academic novel it's not something that you sit down and just power through and so i whenever i have some spare time i just open it up and i'll like read passages and I read a passage today and I was like, oh, I need to talk about this on the podcast. So this is actually really good timing that it came up. Um, I took a picture of it um, and because this is – that's modern day right. highlighting. <laughs> um, and it just was talking about the experience of going to slasher movies and – the the formula itself, um, which this very much does. Um, so I'll just like read this little passage. Um, it became obvious that at a very early stage that every spectator knew exactly what the film was going to do at every point, even down to the order in which it would dispose of its various characters. And the screening was accompanied by something in the nature of a running commentary in which each dramatic move was excitedly broadcast some minutes before it was actually made. The film's total predictability did not create boredom or disappointment. On the contrary, the predictability was clearly the main source of pleasure, and the only occasion for disappointment would have been a modulation of the formula, not the repetition of it. Everyone had parted with his or her four bucks. Man, don't you wish movies still cost four bucks? Um, in the complete confidence that Hell Knight was no, was a known quantity and that it would do nothing essentially different from any of its predecessors. Everyone could guess what would happen, and it did happen. In the course of the evening, art had shrunk to, to its final cause, and I had the incongruous sense on coming out of having been invited to, a, to participate in communion. I love that. So, I mean, that's also- <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? It's just like, God, I was just like moved by that. But it's true. I mean, that's also talking about the the theatric Uh experience and the whole section was also talking about, you know, Hitchcock being the first person to ever not allow audiences in after like the first 10 minutes of his film to truly build natural suspense and psycho. Um, And so it was just talking about that experience. And then I read this. I'm like, God, this is exactly – what this podcast is about and why our list is so specific to the formula and the slasher because exactly that we we do 
more so now because of Scream and modernly Happy Death Day, we do have movies that do exactly what this passage is talking about, mm-hmm. break it. And we want it. We love it. We love to see it. But they do it in a way that's interesting enough that it's better than right. It doesn't. It doesn't betray the genre. That's the biggest thing. It's like that's Mm -hmm. that is why I yeah you're 100 percent right. Like that's West did it, and Chris Landon does it, and like and Mm -hmm. I even true you know like um, Tragedy Girls I think does it very well, and Final Mm -hmm. Girls like they don't betray the they don't betray the genre. They they change the tropes up and they switch it, but they never betray slashers, and so. Yeah, oh, I love that passage. Holy crap! Like that gave me that gave me like yeah. chills because I was like, it's so true. Like that's what you love yeah. about slash. You're oh. sitting here and we're watching this movie, and I go, okay, I know which character is going to survive. I know when this trickster and like you know, Cabin in the Woods does mm-hmm. it. Like you you know when these specific trope like characters are gonna go. You can talk about it right before it happens. You see them in the car, and you're like, okay. So they're in the car. They're making out. She's going to take her top off. Like, that's exciting. Even though we know it's going to happen, it's exciting. And that's exactly what this movie does is there's no there's no switching it up. Like, you can tell this movie beat by beat what is going to happen. Of course, it's going to have its twist ending, but that's part of the slasher, the reveal of the whodunit. That is part of the trope. But the the beats along to get there – you know what to accept, like to what to expect. And as it happens, you're like rooting for the characters. And and we'll get into this with the plot, but like as like clunky and low budget and like indie this film is, like there's a lot of moments that you're – I was excited mm-hmm. and like felt a lot of that like true – slasher like okay oh my god that's not working move on gotta do this like I felt that sensation which you don't always get in a lot of these slashers that we cover it like kind of gets lost in in the way and so I did really appreciate that about this one yeah no I totally agree with you um and that review and if you read the whole review I mean if you want to look it up it's literally like lover's lane 1999 dread central it'll pop up um, that's basically what the whole review goes on to discuss. And I completely agreed with it. It was like, yeah, I mean, it's, you have fun along the way with like all these really like classic tropes. Um, and it's nothing, you know, nothing serious, but you can have like a few beers and like enjoy like each beat as it comes that you know to expect. And it's simple and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I even text you when I was watching it. I was like, nobody's talking. Right. I even text you when I was watching. I was like, Oh God, this movie is like so nineties and like so dated. But, and then I I even followed it up. I was like, but like in a really fun and enjoyable way, like, and that's what that it it made it fun. Um, I actually like, don't hate this poster. (laughs) Yeah, it's. It's I don't whatever. love like the, the um, background, but I think the foreground is actually pretty solid. Mm-hmm. So there is also a version of this where it's just like the focus on the car and the high beams and like the girl laying in front of it. Um, so what this is like the main poster that you'll find when you look it up. So it's got like a 
sort of obscured version of our hook killer. You can see like his silhouette all in black, but then the hook is front, like literally front and center, super shiny, um, light shining off of it. There's like a weird like ghost face-esque like smoke in the background. Uh, that's like a scream, but it like legitimately looks like ghost face, um, which I'm sure was intentional mm-hmm. and a marketing decision. Um, it our killer doesn't wear a mask. Uh, wears a hoodie and like a correctional outfit most of the movie or a, an inmate outfit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh from the like a, a jumper, jumpsuit yeah. from the psychiat- psychiatrist psychiatric ward whatever he wears a, a psych- yeah those are the words holy moly um but so that it's fine it it's probably somebody screaming and they just like obscured it but it's whatever i like that it's kind of like looks to be smoke in the background then we have our title set in like a serif feels very uh i mean it almost looks like copper tone, the font, but I can't super tell. It's been distorted. Um, it says Lover's Lane, and then it has the tagline right under it, uh, Don't Get Hooked. <laughs> the hook then leads us down to a car with its brights on, and then, you know, it's all grainy and fuzzed out. And then in the very forefront, you can see, like, a woman laying on the ground uh, and the typical – it's not the worst thing I've seen. I mean, it definitely could have been better for sure, um, but it's not bad. It definitely looks to the time. It's for sure something I would have picked up at the video mm-hmm. store. Um, I'm actually surprised I didn't. Well, it looks it, like on it looks straight to DVD, right? Like it, that, like mm-hmm. yeah, it does. It has yeah. that look. Um, I love these taglines. I don't understand one That's of them, good. but um, I love. So there's no safe sex. Fantastic. Um, Valentine's Day, a day for love and romance, right? Not anymore. Also good. Love that. Uh, the one on the poster, don't get hooked. The last one, you're screwed. Don't love that one. <laughs> I mean, it's it's okay. But the other three, I think, are like, like there's no safe sex is solid. Yeah, I love it. It's so good. Um, yeah, you're screwed, obviously, is another play on like sex right. screwing, um, which is, you know, the whole lover's lane like theme uh but i don't know it's yeah it's kind of silly yeah um no no sequels it does like it does a very classic like 80s stinger um at the end so it leaves it open for one leaves leaves you a little wink um which is which is always nice i always appreciate well hello my cat just um jumped on my legs hey Excuse I, me, sir. I, I keep forgetting you have a cat, so. Yeah, guys, I got a cat. I don't know if I ever told you. I have my a cat for the first time in my life 29 years later. I'm just a crazy person. I think I mentioned it, you know, because I decided to have a baby and get a yeah. cat and, you know, be, be an insane she person. She has a little farm over there. Um, yeah, you have a little farm. Uh, it was directed by John Ward. Um he hasn't done much. Uh, he's known for 1995's Equal Impact um, and 2013's V3, both indie films. Um, he works in like a variety of roles now, uh, director, writer, and producer. Um, seems like he has producer tag pretty often. So 
works in the industry, not a ton of stuff. Um, looks like he does a few projects every couple of years. Um, so nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, it was written by Jeff Miller and Rory Veal. Um, Jeff Miller is known for writing Deep Star Six and uh, four, what is that? Yeah. Four House Four. Yeah. I feel like we've covered a bunch of movies where someone's worked on Deep Star Six. We yeah, it's come up quite a bit, which is why I put it down because I'm like, I feel like that movie. Like, how many people were yeah, for real? <laughs> because it's called, like we're gonna have to watch it because it's popped up like yeah. so many times. Have you no, ever seen it? No, I know it's 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 a no, horror. I just haven't seen it. Yeah, and I'm very familiar, not very, but I'm like somewhat familiar with the history of it. Um, because there's been so many people in, involved with it, like Harry Manfredini did like the score. Like there's there's a lot of like a genre people mm-hmm. involved in it. Um, so it's popped up a lot. And I'm like, I just need to watch it. Um, and I put this in here because Ryan has mm-hmm. this movie. His brother gave it to him. Is it it is. We're going to watch it someday. Like, wh- yeah. like probably we're this gonna, winter. So yeah. we're going to cover it. Yeah. Um, so he produced 2001's Shredder. And also one of our actors is also in Shredder. Um, so I think that's fun. And then Rory Veal also produced 2001 Shredder, and this is the only movie he's written. So he co-wrote it with Jeff Miller, who's done a few things. I mean, those are both big, uh, some big films in the genre, I would say. Um, and so I'm excited to watch Shredder and have sort of like this overlap, um, which was two years later, two years after I, this. I haven't um, watched Shredder since probably like, oh, Five oh six. I definitely rented it. the The copy I own is the copy I rented because it's from B and I. Um, you know, growing up in Ukiah, the local video store was New Release Video, and when they went out of business, my brother went and bought a ton of just like cheap horror DVDs because they were all like a dollar or less. Um, and then everything that looked like a slasher, he just gave to me. And so the copy I own is definitely the copy I rented from New Release. And I remember really liking it in like that way of just like this, where it's just like feels like an 80s slasher, but like with a 2000 skin on it. And Steve from Full House stars in it. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely, definitely not one of those people I like seek out to watch things they're in, but (laughs) isn't he? He's the voice of Aladdin. That's like his, yeah, that's his big thing. Yeah. Yes. I was like, there was something that popped up with him that I realized recently, and mm-hmm. that was it. I was like, is he Aladdin? Is that? But then he doesn't sing. No, he's not right? the singing like voice. voice. Yeah. Somebody different. He's just the voice. Do they still do that in Disney? Most of the time. Like, is that still the no. norm? Um, I think, I mean, the big ones I can always think of are like Lion King because JTT didn't sing. And then. Nightmare uh, Before Christmas always pops up because Danny Elfman's the singing voice. Well, Danny Elfman does yeah, all the singing. but Chris yeah. Sarandon's the voice, which what a killer combo. Holy crap. Yeah. I know. God, I love yeah. that movie. Um, huh. Our score is by B.C. Smith. He has 45 credits. He was known um, for Adult World. I saw that movie. Um, I'm pretty sure because Evan yeah. Roberts and Evan Peters was. are both in it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jin yeah. from 2013. I think that's a Darren Lynn Bowsman flick or he like worked on it somehow. Um amateur and then smoke signals so not um not like a whole lot of stuff uh jen is like a genre entry um uh I, yeah and i couldn't really find it i mean it's possible but just by without clicking on all 45 titles i couldn't really see any titles that screamed genre yeah. to me 
Um, so it looks like he probably didn't really stay in it. Um, uh, our cinematographer, which I thought this was interesting, um, Long Lon Magdich, who also worked on Equal Impact, which our director uh, directed, he mainly works and currently works in the camera department um, on like reality TV, but like real TV, like what do you call like Penn and Teller? Like that's reality. Is that still considered reality? It's still TV? reality. Like reality is such a broad scope, right? Because there's like reality late night, which is just like those are often considered talk shows, right? And then there's reality like right. dating and then there's reality game shows, which those are weird too because there's two genres of game shows. There's like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, but then there's also like the challenge and fear factor, right? right. Um, but like Penn and Teller is just, I guess, like the most true brand of reality because it's just examining something in real life yeah yeah well yeah and like Penn and Teller it's like well this is Penn and Teller tell a lie which is different but we also watch like full full us like Mm. we watch that every season well it's Um, great so and they have it's so good uh but they have people come on stage and it's like a regular just show in Vegas and it just happens to also be filmed for tv anywho that's like a big aside, but he mainly works on shows like that. Modern Marvels. Um, I mean, he worked on a TV show called like the true history of Halloween. So I did see some stuff that seemed to be kind of genre related, but it's all like a form of reality TV, um, like and slash documentary type stuff. Um, so that was kind of cool. Big career, lots of credits. Um, so that's interesting. I could not speak to the cinematography because we watched a really shitty version of this film that was so dark and grainy. And I, it might have looked nice when it was originally on DVD, but I did not see that. Yeah. Version. So I'll tell, like, you know, usually we kind of like hint at where you can find things. We're like, you can find it if you. This is some searching. You no, I had to. He was like, how do we watch this? And I was like, give me some time. And it took me about a day. And I'm like pretty good at like tracking shit down. And it, I mean, it is like, it's on some, you know, torrent streaming site that is mirrored out of Sweden or whatever. And you got to click like through 12 pop-ups before the video will even play. Like, listen. I legit had to text Ryan, like, how do I watch this? I don't understand. I keep pressing play and it just takes me to other screens. Are you trying right. to I had to like, a, like assure her that I didn't get a virus? And listen, we do not condone pirating, but when something no. is literally impossible to find, like, and I'm talking literally, it's not streaming anywhere. Like, I. No. In 2016, it went up on Amazon Prime and then at some point got taken down. I couldn't even find a nope. DVD to buy. Yeah, I don't. Because normally I'd be like, well, let's wait and I'll, and I'll buy the DVD. I the, could not – there's no source to even buy it. Yeah, so, this will be like the next one that I start petitioning like, for because I do think it is fun enough that it deserves a release. Um, yes. Yeah. It does. And like I've seen way worse slashers get released. So I'm like, no, we need to get Lover's Lane out here. And there's like, like C-level celebrities in this. Like there's enough to – put this movie into like print again unless they don't want it in print and then maybe i'm sorry for petitioning people uh yeah it's fine (laughs) so we have aaron dean as mandy anderson slash harriet anderson um because she plays her mother um in like the flashback and then also 
herself. Um, and she is our final girl. Uh, she was Mona in 1997's Lolita. She started Nickelodeon's Journey of Alan Strange. I remember that show. And I figured. Yeah, it was the one. He's like an alien. It was kind of like the. It was basically like the male version of Alex Mack. They like just took it and like swapped it, so it was a male version almost. Um, Yeah, and she has not acted since this movie. Um, We have Riley Smith as Michael uh, Lanson, Larnson, Lamson, and I'm literally wearing my glasses. Uh, Oh yeah, okay, totally knew him from Motocross. Absolutely, yeah. The Disney Channel original. I had the fattest. And he's in the new figure, right? Um, Yes, and then yeah, he's in the new Nancy Drew TV show, which I think is back on for season two now. I think it premiered in January. I need to check. I loved, loved the first season. Mm -hmm. Absolutely loved it. So, um, and it's very, I mean, mystery. It's you know genre light. Um, Also. I've talked um, in Eight Legged Freaks, not another teen movie. Radio. This guy's very like he's one of those guys that you would never know his name, and then as soon as you saw him, you'd be like, "Yeah, yeah I agree. As you see him, you're like, I know him from something." Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, see, see, level. I mean, obviously, he's a D list for sure. But like, you know, he's he's in things. He's in a lot of things. He's currently acting in a popular CW show. He's been in a lot of other Life Sentence. Um, some other CW show, yeah. you know how oh. they do. They one of it gets canceled. They're like, oh, it's fine. We'll just put you in another. Yeah, show. that's true. Man, he got stuck with life sentence. Yeah, yeah. I watched one episode of that show. I was like, nope. <laughs> um, yeah, no. not for me. Sarah Lancaster as uh, Chloe Grief Greff. Um, she was Ellie and sure. Chuck. She was in The Judge. She was in Everwood. Oh, she had some like CW WB stuff too. Yeah, she's done a lot of stuff. But yeah, I mean, for sure, she's the sister in Chuck. As soon as she popped on, and like her character in Chuck is like the straight laced, very like put together, organized type A sister of Chuck who like doesn't really have everything going on and works for like Best Buy or whatever. And is kind of really goofy and he like keep she like keeps him on track. So to see her be this like, you know, like date rapey killer in this movie is just, just like very, very different. Um, because I was like, God, I know her. And I was like, she looks like, and sure enough, I looked it up, I'm like, oh my God, she's a sister in Jack. <laughs> so I've never I watched it, but I should. I know you love it. I, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't seen it since it, I mean, since it was on. Um, I think I watched it shortly after it aired or was done airing or something. But anyways, I did really love that show for like a network <laughs> show. I don't watch a ton of network TV, um, but I, I did think it was really good. Um, I don't think it's on anything what, now. What did it air on? Um, NBC or, I bet it's on Peacock if it was NBC. If it was ABC, it would be on... Ooh, ABC is like the one. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, it might be, yeah. But yeah, it's super hard to find. I think it might have been um, ABC. Um, I'll, I'll just look it up really quick. Um, but I mean, it was Josh Schwartz who did the OC. Right. So. Um, our, our, uh, I was on NBC, NBC, so it'll be on Peacock. Um, 
which is free, or $5 for the premium one, so you can watch Saved by the Bell, which was actually really good, the reboot. Because, um, of course, I shelled out $5 to watch it. Anna Faris, uh, definitely our biggest actress in this, as Janelle Bay, um, would go on to... No, Scary Movie was before this, I think, actually. No, it was after Oh, it was? Okay, so... Um, Oh, yeah, this movie came out and then Scary Movie came out the next year. So she was literally unknown. And you can tell she's younger in this than she was. I don't know when this movie filmed, but I mean, I would say one, two years even before it came out. So maybe like 97. She looks significantly younger than she yeah. does in Scary um, Movie. I wonder, was this her first movie role? Um, no, I think there was a right. couple other things. Maybe not she was really, definitely so. still an unknown though. Like when she got cast in scary movie, no one knew yeah. who Anna Ferris was. Um, also the house money, which holy crap, that movie's so underrated. If you guys haven't seen it, go watch it. It's, it's so good. Yeah. yeah. That's why I put it down. Cause I'm like, that um, just friends, so um, and mom, um, which did she leave the show? Her first movie was, Deception, which was a TV movie, and then she was in 1996 Eden, which doesn't say TV movie, um, and then this movie. So, I mean, essentially, basically, one of her very first roles. Yeah. And then um, she was on Mom. She left Mom, right? Or did Alice and Janney leave Mom? One of them left. Um, yeah. I don't know, but uh, Billy O'Sullivan as Doug. That was our actor from Shredder that be mentioned. Matt Reedy as Sheriff Tom Anderson, who has 117 credits. Holy crap! Good for you, Matt Reedy. Uh, but this was like one of his first roles, which I love so much. He's gone on to have such a big career, and it literally like basically good. Um, I love when like you yeah. like uh, yeah when you manage to just like land something that's really small, and then you go on to have a really like fruitful career. So um, he was also in the Judge. That's also kind of weird that Sarah Lancaster and him both in it. Yes. Yeah, Henry Lamont in Mad Men, a bunch of other popular shows, lots of soaps, General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, Young and the Restless. Wow, he really hit all the big soaps. And I'm telling you, if it is a popular show that's been on TV, he's been in an episode of it. Like you scroll down the list and they're all um, – these aren't weird shows. They're all Grey's Anatomy, like literally all popular TV shows. Supernatural. Pops, pops in for an episode, Everything you right? can name. Yeah, he pops in for an episode. Um, but yeah, I thought it was crazy. It was in like three of like – I mean the three big soap operas for multiple yeah. episodes. So. Good for good real, for you, yeah, Matt super Reedy. good for him. Um, Susan Bouchard as Principal Penny Lamson. Richard Sanders is Dr. Jack uh, Grief. Grief, I don't know. Um, he's one of our killers. Uh, Megan Hunt as Kathy. Colin F. Peacock as Tim. Ben Indra as Bradley. Michael Shapiro as Deputy David Schwick. Ed Bailey as Ray Hennessy, who is another one of our killers. Uh, Deidre Kilgore as Dee Dee, and Carter Roy as Jimmy. Yeah, they were the couple in the oh, very beginning. Oh, okay. Um, gotta appreciate yeah. um, Colin F. Peacock. That, that's yeah. a hell of a, a name. name. Yeah. Give credit to his parents for really, like, actually give credit to him for just sticking with the, like, Colin F. Because you know you pick what your title is, right? So. Yeah, what yeah. you decide to go by. <laughs> Maybe there was too many Colin Peacocks. You had to differentiate. He's like, no, no, no. I'm Colin F. Peacock. That's Colin M. Peacock. Right. 
Um, this is a holiday mm-hmm. slasher. Um, it is. It's. I mean, it's based around Valentine's Day. It's not like su- integral to the plot whatsoever. Um, it's just like a fun nod to like the whole the lo- reason why they're at Lovers Lane, but doesn't really matter. There's no decor or anything, so it's like holiday slasher light. And then it's a teen screen. Oh yeah, big time. Mm-hmm. I mean. A bunch of teenagers having sex and drinking and yep. getting slashed up. Um, we have three killers. Um, so first we have Jack, and so Jack is uh, the killer thing gets so complicated at the end. I'm gonna start with Ray because Ray is like our first killer. Um, right? Kind of. There's so there's a killer at the beginning because basically the whole plotline of this movie is. There is a guy who was killed. There's a guy who kills pe- like these people who are having sex. And when the sheriff gets there, he figures out it's his wife with his just friend, right? It's yeah, and but it's his wife that like um, they find dead. And so our initial killer is Jack. Jack kills Harriet. No, our initial killer is Jack. So yes, yes, yeah, because yeah, so Harriet Jack is the wife. Is yeah. the doctor at the psychiatric ward um we he frames ray we ray is in the in the psychiatric ward for killing um our couple in the beginning uh which is the sheriff's wife our final girl's mother and then our final boy's father um we are led to believe that they were having an affair and that ray killed them for having sex and he was just crazy in reality, when I we have our final killer reveal at the end, we see Jack um, unveil himself, and he explains to Mandy that he was trying. He went there to confess to Harriet, her mother, that he was in love with her and how he really felt about her. And granted, this is Harriet is married to his brother. Um. And so this is his brother's wife. He's like confessing. Um, She did not feel the same way and things got to get violent. And Ward interrupted him uh, confronting Harriet and Jack killed both of them. Ward is the father of our final boy, Michael. There's so many Um, like kids and parents that it's like they're all over the place. And how they're related to each other. I'm very proud of myself because I paid really good attention to this movie. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, I'm actually not completely lost because I just stayed off my phone the whole time. Um, but I was like really into it. Um, so it was actually pretty easy to do. Um, so he killed both of them. And then he framed Ray who was peeping. He was a peeping Tom out there. He framed Ray um, – and said, oh, he's the one who did it uh, when they found him right. in the bushes and spent 13 years in the psychiatric ward, basically driving him insane. And, you know, they don't crazy get into what level this man's, like, psyche was before this happened. Um, but, I mean, if you're locked up for a crime you didn't do and a man said, I need you to confess, you're the one who did it, you're going to go a little right. crazy. And and Ray actually has a hook for a hand. Right? Yeah, which is why he was easy to yes. frame. Okay, got it, got it, yeah. And then Chloe is Jack's daughter. So Chloe right. is Jack's daughter. So they're basically daughter. like yes. a family of sociopaths. 
Yeah. Yes. Um, and she, I don't think there's another motive besides this, not one that I picked up on, but she just wanted her dad to help kill her ex-boyfriend um, for breaking. She wanted to kill Michael because mm-hmm. he broke up with her. Um, the finest piece of ass in town um, and was then going to kill Mandy as well because they were together that night. Like, I think that's what ended up happening is that really her goal was to kill Michael and her dad was going to kill the other teens, but Michael and Mandy ended up being together the whole night. So she was also like, I'll take care of Mandy as well. Um, so there's that. So that was revealed And then Ray, who was framed, we do know kills Chloe. Um, We can guess that is for – my assumption would be it's Mm -hmm. revenge Mm -hmm. on Jack for locking him up and framing him. I cannot tell you if Ray was responsible for any of the other kills during that night. I – it – they lead you to believe that perhaps the kills that happened at the gas station were him. Um, and my assumption would be because he's tr- mm-hmm. he escaped and he's trying to get to Jack and he's just killing people right. that are on his way. Yeah, that, that That's tracks. my guess. It's not explained, but uh, my guess is Ray is responsible for our gas station attendant as well as our deputy who dies. Um, I think everything else is done by Jack. Um, it also explains why we have such a high kill count for this movie. We have 14 kills. That's incredible. That's yeah, incredibly high. Because we have three killers. Um, and we have three killers um, who are killing uh, in multiple at multiple times and past and present. So, anywho, those are our killers. Their motive, their motives are, I mean, oh, silly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Super silly. I mean, Ray's is fine. Revenge, that's always a great motive. Chloe's makes absolutely no sense besides the fact that she's just absolutely psycho. And I mean, she legitimately tries to rape a character earlier in the movie. So we know she's a super bad person. Yeah. Um, She's, and then Jack is just crazed and like has this shrine to his brothers. Who he wishes was lover. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. He's just obsessed. He's an obsessed man who's obsessed with a very particular woman and has led him to kill right. people because of it. Um, I mean, sure. Yeah, it's they're fine. very um, – they're, again, more like they're very 80s motives, right? Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, our iconic weapon here is the hook, which we get that hook hand, which is um, – I enjoyed seeing again because of their urban legend, like to the actual urban legend, not the movie urban legend. Uh, And then also, of course, like it just kept making me thinking, like you mentioned earlier of, I know what you did last summer. Um, And then Manny and Michael are a final boy and girl. And so (laughs) B, since you are the expert on lover's lane, uh, Mandy is the sheriff's daughter and Harriet's daughter. And then Michael is, not is Ray's son, right? No, no, Ray's not related oh, okay. at all. He is the principal. Oh, he's the principal son. son. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yes. And she, her husband is Ward, who tried to save Harriet. Right. And got himself killed at Lover's Lane thirteen right, right, years right. ago. But she's like really weird um, about telling him about his dad. 
Like, right. It's, she's because like, of the whole presumption that they right. had an affair. It's like she does, which I like kind of get. She doesn't want to tarnish his memory yeah. in her son's eye that he was killed like she doesn't want him to hate her because in her mind she does not believe that her husband could have been cheating on her where um the sheriff has just resided in the fact that harriet was cheating that's just the thing that makes sense and it's heartbreaking but it's the reality and mandy knows that and it's more of just sort of like a tragic Mm -hmm. thing she doesn't hate her mom for it, but it's just one of those things that's sad where um, – God, I'm like forgetting her name. She has a horrible fucking wig. Um, I can tell you that. It's just definitely a tale. Yeah. It's just ghastly uh, obvious. Penny. Um, Penny Lampson. Yes. Okay. Penny is right. Michael's mom, and she did not tell him because, yeah, she just thinks that – her there's no way ward was cheating um i mean that comes up a few times she tells the sheriff like he was not cheating like i don't believe it and he's like yeah why were they out on lover's land together like there was evidence that like they were doing something that something happened um and she won't believe it so she doesn't tell michael so michael's in the dark about that he doesn't find out until like the climax of the film yeah which is just like the climax is super like muddled i think i think the movie like loses itself in the climax honestly um but yeah he's like really upset at mandy like why would you say that about my dad like what are you talking about because mandy's like this guy's coming after us because he killed our parents like you need to understand that but yeah they are our survivors um i mean what i'll say about them and ryan can talk about what his thoughts are and it's like there's no real arc to these Mm. characters um, at all, uh, so we don't we don't see that typical final girl boy arc that makes them that that trope. I will say though that they are incredibly resourceful mm-hmm. survivors, and they don't just happen to survive. So they kind of land in the middle of the scenarios that we find ourselves in, where we either have our final girls with like a true arc of like development. Um, where we follow them from the very beginning. And it's always hard when you have two um, to really have an arc because we're following two characters at a time, which we are in this movie. Um, we don't really ever have a clear lens of their, it being their story. It doesn't feel right. like their story. They, they're just like part of the, the larger story. Um, we're never really following You know what's them. funny though um, so, about this movie that I yeah. felt um, – there are you're right like they don't follow traditional like final boy slash girl arcs really like i do agree with you they don't like they don't just like they're not they just don't happen to be alive like they are central characters they are resourceful they survive because of their own wits about them but they follow teen rom-com trope arcs almost a little bit because mandy's kind of like the dorky like nerdy girl that no one to hang out with and michael's like the cool guy and then he breaks up with his sexy girlfriend mm-hmm. and then he starts hanging out with mandy and like there's even the entire scene mm-hmm. in the bowling alley and she only gets right and she only gets involved because of a dare by like the sort of like dorky guy like the jokester mm-hmm. character yeah and like yeah, yeah there's a whole no, bowling sure. alley scene that like that scene straight up i'm like 
this is totally so different than the rest of the movie. Um, but it's so 90s. Yeah. And then, like, you know, she's in the car and they're like, oh, is she hanging out with us? And they're like, yeah, man, she's cool. I was like, this is such, like, rom-com for the era. Yeah, which I think a lot of times, and maybe that's the only thing that is a bit post-scream about this movie, is just the setup of the characters, is that it does sort of have that feel, which we tend to see. I mean, I don't know, actually, if that's necessarily post-scream, but you'll even see those character, like, archetypes. It just plays out a little bit more like the comedies, but those are typical character arcs to have in slashers. Or like character archetypes. Oh, for sure. I just think the way it plays out in this feels yeah. more like a, a like right. this era's romantic comedies. Like exactly like the teen something. comedies from this era. Yeah. It, it plays uh-huh. out a lot like those. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I agree. Um, at least in like the scenarios of how they end up hanging right. out together, instead of them all just naturally being in the same friend group, um, they kind of do some funny things to like mm-hmm. put them all together. I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. Oh, As B said, it has a huge kill count, 14 kills. Um, yeah, so, you know, we're going to go through the, the, the plot is not super important because the plot is literally, I, I mean, we've discussed it quite a bit. Um, yeah, we've, yeah, we've gone over it. like pretty much exactly what the plot is. And like we've mentioned from the top, it's just this movie really does play out as a paint by numbers slasher movie. Like, I mean, we get our, mm-hmm. it starts with our flashback at Lover's Lane where Dee Dee and Jimmy are in the car, Maniac with a, a hook attacks them. Um, and then that's when they find Harriet and Ward who are, who have been murdered. Um, and then, you know, we kind of get introduced to our central, like, adult characters, um, before we get our flash forward, where we discover, you know, that Ray is in the psychiatric ward that he's about to break out of, the, all of the adults who, like, lived, their, their kids are all at school together, um, you know, um, Chloe's the popular girl, um, like I said, Mandy's kind of like the, the, the bookworm Michael is also popular, but he's like done with Chloe. Um, and we kind of spend a while, you know, like kind of like, honestly, the setup is similar to scream where it's like just these teens hanging out and they start talking about like, did you hear about like this thing that happened? There was like this murder. Um, and then, you know, even though they like have heard about like the hook being like having escaped, they still are like, we're going to go hang out and go to Lover's Lane. Right. Like they seem like very not, it does seem a little weird that it's, there doesn't seem to be unlike in movies like Scream, there doesn't seem to be a big like outside awareness of this killer being loose or even movies like I think of like Summer Party Massacre where we start off knowing this sort of like crazed killer is mm-hmm. loose. Kind of feels more like that where they're like it's being talked about but like in this movie it's not at all. Like nobody's talking about it except for like Doug and like we weirdly have like the sheriff and the deputy kind of like driving around but that's it. Like nobody else in the town seems to be worried or concerned that somebody who was killing teenagers on Lover's Lane now 13 years later is out and about. That did feel really strange that there wasn't more like 
Yeah, the principal's the only one who cares because she's the one who's like, you're grounded. Like, I mean, she grounds Michael because he got in trouble at school, but also she's like trying to keep him inside because the the right. sheriff does let her know about like what's what's happened. Yeah. Right. I'm like, mm, I don't know about public safety decisions being made by these townspeople. Yeah. I don't want to live in that town. So, yeah, we have Harry and Ward killed at the beginning. They're both killed. Uh, well, Harry is killed in um, in the car off screen, and, and Ward is also killed off screen in the car. Todd Hastings is an orderly who's killed at the hospital. Todd Hastings' dad, sorry. That's how they find out. They're like, Todd Hastings, like, they're, it's like a rumor, right, going around. Uh, right, that Doug's telling. It's like, didn't you know Todd Hastings' dad right. got killed and by then. And I'm assuming that's our orderly yeah. in the hospital. And then um, the next person to be killed um, is I, and off screen, right? The gas station attendant? Uh-huh. We just see, yeah, all of these killings have been yeah. off screen. Yeah, so, so like that night when they have decided to still go off to Lover's Lane, um, like the there's this whole part where like the kids and the sheriffs and they all and the killer all kind of like unknowingly cross paths at this gas station. Um, and you know, that's when we see the gas station attendant who has been killed again, like I said, off screen. Um, and then <laughs> creepy deputy. I love that. You, is that how you listed it? Dude. Yeah. So yeah, there's this whole scene cause you know, Chloe's spending like a ridiculous amount of time trying to make Michael right. jealous. And this deputy is freaking like literally watching them make out at the diner and makes this like comment. He says, he tells the sheriff, like, I wish I was her daddy. Um, Granted, he's talking to the sheriff and that's his niece for keeping track of the familiar ties, Um, which I thought was weird because I was like, isn't that his niece? Like, isn't his brother's daughter? Like, why is he so chill about the way this guy's talking? And he's like, oh, yeah, I wish she's her daddy. And he's like, oh, why would you wish that? He's like, so I could spank her at night. I'm like, it's fucking, you're so <laughs> fucking disgusting and creepy. And there's so many moments in this film that are so purely aughts and like the way, and it's not even the aughts yet, but like that late 90s aughts feeling of being really, or, you know, it actually might not even be that. It might go back because it's not really malicious about it the only thing malicious is like a scene later on where you know we have to like throw in the f the other f word as yeah. i like to call it um you can't watch a movie from the 2000 a horror movie from the 2000s without having to hear it which is so frustrating um but glad we've grown past that um but you know uh what's that movie mm-hmm. where it just like there's the so many of the characters the male characters specifically are so like grossly sexual in a way that doesn't even feel real like they can't even control their thoughts like they have any sexual any any woman who walks by they have such extreme sexual desires they have to peep on them or they have to talk about wanting to do things to them while they observe them. Or they have to go into a public restroom with a stall that doesn't have a door in a restroom that doesn't lock to masturbate. It It's just all like 
real like this movie really pushes like those and you know there are those sleazy 80s movies so i like kind of take back what i say about the aughts it feels very much in the 80s where it's just sort of these like the trope of men can't right because the the aughts and what we get more in like the mid to late aughts was mean right but not necessarily sleazy right like um it's just really right yeah and this one's just more like they're gross. They're um, pigs. The men are pigs. Just yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the deputy is also killed. Um, and then yeah, all the kids head out to Lover's Lane. Um, they get there because they're supposed to be meeting. Um, or Chloe and Brad are like already out there, and they get there and Doug. Yeah, Doug has this mission from Chloe to make sure that Michael sees that Chloe's out there with right. Bradley. Like that's the whole goal. That's the whole reason why they're, which is funny. It's kind of a silly reason to all get them out there. It could have just been like for a party, but whatever. And this is what we have that like really uncomfortable scene where like Chloe tries to rape mm-hmm. Bradley. Like, I mean, that's what it is. And she literally says um, like, yeah, this is exact quote. Um, look, in case you hadn't noticed, I happen to be the best piece of ass in this town. Now, how's it going to sound when I tell everyone in school that you're just another big mouth with a limp dick? I was like, does that work? Does that like get a guy hard saying that? Like, I'm going to tell everybody you got a limp dick and then, you know, you better get it up or I'm going to tell people. Like, I mean, we are not here to. Then she takes We are not here off. to yuck your yum and kink shame. So if that's what you, gets you going, good for you. It, it did not work. For Bradley. Uh, yeah, just throwing that out there. Um, but they get out there, they discover that um, Bradley and Chloe have been killed, or we are led to believe that um, they have been killed. Um, and then, okay, so then Tim is actually stabbed to death. And is this is yes. her dad, right? It's not Ray. That right. I mean, I just that would that's what I assume too. We don't we don't really know because here's the thing: they kind of just dress them all the same. It's like large clothes, or they're killed yeah. off screen a lot too. Um, but anytime like right. the killing's going on, they're kind of just wearing the same thing, which is just like kind of just like clothing that is enough to cover up who they actually are. Daddy right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think at this point, all of the killings are now. Um, done by jack i think so too um pretty sure um except for well that's not true we'll get into that as we come to them i know there's a a couple that are oh right 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 so yeah so um bradley has been killed off screen tim is now killed with the hook um and this is when we kind of like get into our like classic chase like kind of chase sequence that leads into the the like third act and final of of the finale of the film um so yeah, they're like they're escaping. Uh, Doug crashes. Uh, Mandy and Michael uh, wake up, and they like no one's around. So they find like this nearby farmhouse where they are able to like locate a gun, um, and they find the uh, the other kids. Um, yeah, Janelle and Doug, and there's this whole scene. B has this quote from this scene where like Doug has broken his leg, and they're trying to distract him so they can like set his leg basically. Um, you want to read this sweet little quote you got here? Oh, yeah. And so, like, Mandy's, you know, being the resourceful, like, 
final girl that she is is like you know pulling out all her girl scout knowledge apparently and is gonna like set reset his leg and he's like being an asshole about it like no don't touch me don't fucking touch me and she's like janelle distract him distract him like you need to distract him and she's like so who's your favorite teacher (laughs) and he's like what the fuck and so then she just pulls her shirt up and uh, Mandy sets his, leg, uh, yeah. sets his leg and he immediately passes out. And then Michael says, uh, what can I say? Your body's a real knockout uh, in reference to Janelle's boobs. And I just thought. That and you don't see great. her boobs. It is. That is one that they. Yeah. You they keep not. them off screen. It is just her back. All the other women who go topless, Dee Dee in the very beginning, Chloe in the car, you see their breasts. Um, Anna Ferris does not show it. Yeah. Her breasts. Um, so then um, then they go out to the barn. This was one of my favorite scenes, actually. They go out to the barn to get the car. Um, and then, like, the hook, the whoever at this point has is trying to smash through the window with the hook hand. Um, and then, so Janelle runs upstairs. And then the hookman kills her, or she, no, Chloe. We think it's Chloe at this point, right? I don't know. I'm confused now. I, it doesn't right. really it, matter. Um, I thought in the final, re- like in her killer reveal, she said that she killed them, but we know for a fact that it was her dad who got blown up and survived because when he does his killer reveal, his face right. is all burned and Chloe's obviously. Right. Gone. Well, Janelle gets hooked in the vagina. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. that's a verbatim quote as B has it here. Um, yeah, no, it's true. That is what happens. Um, so yeah, ju- that's how Janelle dies. And then, um, where is now I'm, now I'm lost. Um, and then Doug dies. Doug is the next to die. Yeah. Yeah. He's downstairs laying on the table and he's stabbed actually, which is like one of the only kills that's not, well, we don't really know actually, cause we don't see a lot of them, but the only one on screen that we see, that's not the hook. He stabs him in the leg. It cuts away and then he's stabbed again. We don't see where, but then we know right. he's dead. Um, and then I love this scene where they finally get the car started. Michael charges out um, of it and accidentally like runs over. Well, yeah accidentally runs over kathy but like i don't i don't know like i thought like this scene was cool like just how the killer was framed and everything it was like very classic like stalker like mm-hmm. hunting stock like slasher feels yeah, there was some good suspense as they're trying to like jump start the car mm-hmm. with the wires and mandy can see like the outline of the like the silhouette of the killer in the doorway and she's like get in the car michael get in the car um yeah i mean had true like moments of like excitement right for sure um they go in the house they like basically again using their resourcefulness they're trapped in there but they manage to find a way out while also basically setting a, up a trap for the killer um they like set off the gas and once the killer comes in they spark a match and it blows the house up um so we assume that the killer is dead although he is not um this is when we get like a, a quick little cut of like the parents coming in um the sheriff and the principal are back at Jack's house, and that's where they discover, like B mentioned earlier, that shrine devoted to um, the sheriff's ex-wife, uh, Mandy. And then they rush out to Lover's Lane, um, and then this is like our true like fa- finale of the film. So Michael and Mandy take the car. Um, they find Chloe still alive. 
Um, and she like begs him to go find Bradley because she swears that he's still alive. They still don't know that Chloe's involved. So they go out there with Chloe and they find Bradley dead because he has been dead. Um, and then, um, and then Chloe is attacked or Chloe attacks Michael with her hook to reveal that she is one of the killers. Um, but then Michael escapes and Chloe is killed. This is where I was like, when I was watching the movie, I was like, wait, what's going on now? Because then Chloe is killed mm-hmm. by an unseen figure that we discover is Ray, um, who has made his way out there because mm-hmm. of seeking revenge on Jack anyway. So he's, um, you know, getting revenge on Jack by killing Chloe. Now all three of her, three of her killers are out right. there at the same time. Um, Mandy is also forced into the car by another killer, which is Jack, right? So this is when we finally realize, okay, we have three killers and they're all here. Ray is outside killing Chloe while Michael is escaping and Mandy is stuck in the car with Jack where he admits that he is the one who killed her mom at the beginning of the movie. And then like B said, he had, his face is all messed up and he survived the explosion. He is the one who was out at the farmhouse. Um, and then... Tom and Penny arrive, uh, you know, Tom gets a shot into Jack before Mandy is the one who actually kills him with the hook. Um, and then like our final stinger is like all the medics are there, you know, it's like daytime, like the, you know, they're all wrapped up in their blankets. Um, and then, um, Tom and Penny get into a car and the driver is revealed to be Ray. So like he has, you know, kind of slipped into the cracks here and, and, um skirted by unnoticed yeah yes yeah um and that's that is lover's lane 14 kills not a lot of the kills on screen though yeah but it's probably also because if this was straight to i i think this was straight to tv almost Mm -hmm. oh no because there's there are boots there would have been more information yeah maybe it was like premium or something i don't know yeah it's kind of wild i wish i could find out the release like it's one of the like we talk about it all the time i wish i could go back in time and like what was it like when this movie was released Mm -hmm. like who saw this what was the access to this um i don't know i was i was but but to we won in 99 (laughs) i was definitely not uh i mean at least not seeking out these types of horror movies at See how old was I in December of ninety nine? I was eleven. So you were. I don't know how much younger are you than me. I was almost ten. No. If if I was eleven, yeah. Or or no, I was almost eight. Fuck, I can't math. Yeah. Because I would have turned. uh, I would have turned eight in January of two thousand. Yeah. Yeah, so not, I was seven. Not so even no, double digits not, yet. I was not picking out uh, slashers quite yet. Almost. Uh, <laughs> not quite yet. B, what's your favorite kill in this? There's not a lot to choose from. Yeah, there really isn't. Um, let me think. I actually haven't really thought about this. And um, let's see. I think. I think my favorite kill is probably Chloe's because it surprised me. Um, You at that point think that it's her and her father. 
And there's no part of me that I think her father is going to double cross her. Like it's going to be that type of twist. Um, so when – and I mean it's a good on-screen kill of like having her throat slashed with the hook. Um, so the kill itself is good. And then like the surprise element to it um, I really enjoyed because I was like, oh, shit. Well, who the fuck is this now? Like that wasn't her dad. And then they do show his face and like you don't recognize him because – well, you might have recognized him if you could actually see clearly in the right. movie in the beginning um you probably would be like oh shit it's ray um and so um yeah i think that was my favorite it's funny because i was looking at it and like thinking about it too and i was like oh because you know sometimes we go like we do enjoy those like kind of more graphic or like gnarly kills and so janelle has a pretty brutal one but I, i'm the same actually chloe's was for me because I, same as you i was like wait who is this because at that point i'm like we know we have an idea of like what's happening here and that's not what I expected to be happening. So it legit actually kind of caught me off guard and I was like, wait, I don't know who this is. Um, so I agree. Chloe's kill was, was my favorite in the movie. I mean, there's, uh, and again, there's not a lot to choose from. Um, a lot of the kills are off screen. And well, the like, I don't mind like the sexual graphic kills if there feels like, an intentional reason for the plot to do that or it ties in with the killer's motives and like to me that just feels like more of sort of like the more like nasty like leftover tropes from the 80s where like you're gonna kill the cheerleader like by hooking her in the vagina that just feels like a little bit too uh too purposeful and sort of like sexual way as opposed to like if if we had a killer that was more motivated by sex and this killer's not right. obviously um i i think i would have felt like it made more sense but really in in this context of this film and this killer it felt just a little bit more like okay that's like a fun trope but it doesn't feel so much fun in this like right context no. i don't love that kill in the context yeah again film. it just feels like a little sleazy yeah, it feels just a little like sleazy for sure. So not my favorite. Not my favorite. Like I said, in in another film, I I'm just not, I'm not against kills like this. It probably could. It would totally work. And I'm sure that we've had kills like this that I oh loved. yeah, just didn't love it. Right. It would feel more appropriate in something like Friday, right? So, um, yeah. This movie does like it. I mean, out of every movie we've, this is like. It's positioned in the horror landscape. It, this reminds me of like Iced, where I'm like, no one knows about this shit. Right. No, absolutely nobody. People are going to, this is going to be, sometimes I look at the stats of our episodes and it's going to be one of the ones that's like been listened to like twice. Yeah. Because <laughs> people are going to like, I ain't never seen that movie. Or it's just going to be our very lovely, we love you, loyal listeners who listen even if they haven't seen the movie. Um, yeah. Shout out to shout out to like uh, JD Scoob Classic Material uh, Robert Prudhomme. Thank you guys for listening to everything. We appreciate you. Like, no matter if you've seen the movie, because like yeah, even yeah, like Ben, he'll like tap out. He's like, I did not watch that movie. I'm not gonna listen to you guys talk about it. He's like, well, listen to your pop culture check in. I'm like, okay, thanks, babe. We the best. <laughs> so um, yeah, this is. I yeah I forget we found it. Somehow. We I remember I remember exactly we where we were. Yeah, we watched mm -hmm. a trailer, and then we're like, oh yeah, someday. And I completely forgot about it. And then I was looking up like a legit just 
decade-by-decade list of slashers um, when I was planning out the year's episodes. And I was looking to pull a couple from the 90s. And a lot of times I click on them and I look at the synopsis and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's not really a slasher. And I move on. And I saw this one. I'm like, no, this is a slasher for sure. And so I threw it on the list. And I totally had forgotten until you mentioned it earlier in the podcast that I totally remember watching that. Yeah, I remember it was still when you had your desk in your what is now your bedroom. And yeah, but what what was was your office? And we were talking about like, we were like, we wanted to do 90s and so we were like oh let's look and we saw it and i was like i've never heard of that have you and we watched the trailer we're like oh that looks fun and that was it like we just never like came back around to it so um i'm glad we circled back around on it though yeah me too. Um, cool so if you guys don't know uh we at the end of every episode we do rank our movies you can find those rankings in that list at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list um and it is um you know we have a ranking of how the movie works as a slasher, like the, the blueprint of the slasher, the kind of quote unquote blueprint that being that I have, you know, established and is also kind of well-known loosely among horror fans is like this blueprint for the slasher formula. Um, And so uh, number one is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984 followed by My Bloody Valentine from 81 and Black Christmas from 74. And at the bottom of the list, uh, we have April Fool's Day, both of them, 2008 and then 1986 and Girls' Night Out. Um, So this will be our 74th movie that we are covering. So we are really, really close to three quarters of 100 now. So working our way. Yeah, we're getting there. I was like, where is he going with that? Three quarters of what? Yeah. Slasher movie? No, 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 no. Well, I know on the last couple of episodes, I've been like, we're getting close to 100. And then you're like, you say that every episode. So I was like, I'm going to switch it up. Yeah. Um, so this movie, as a slasher, works extremely well. It does. It really does. Um, I think the big and, – and it pulls – like I said in the beginning, it pulls a lot of tropes that um, – aren't integral to the blueprint itself, but are specifically slasher tropes, things like the car won't start. Um, for example, uh, things like, like we see, it's funny because we just watched torso, but there was like a lot of moments in this that kind of reminded me of Mm -hmm. torso. Um, like the, the opening kill sequence of the couple in the car and she's, he's clothed and she takes her top off. And that's kind of seems to be like the trend of these is like the clothed male and the topless female making out in the car and the killer comes to you, um, which we've seen that a lot. It's really fun to go to movies that were made like in, you know, 1973, right? That's torso 73. Yeah. Something like 73 where you go, wow. Okay. Like, did you start this torso? Like, are you the first to do it? Or you wanted the first for sure. Um, and obviously it's taking that trope that has, you know, been used in a lot of movies. So there's these like, non-integral tropes that they use but then it's the familiar ties um that happen in the beginning of the movie and then we flash forward and then those you know characters are being affected by what happened there and it's related to the fact that there's their family we have uh, an iconic weapon we have a holiday being present parents hiding a secret from their children we have um characters that are essentially stereotype characters we have the job we have the pretty girl we have the pretty girl's best yeah. friend we have the joker we the nerd yeah. yeah um so we get 
get those like um, s- those those tropey characters too. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the formula of setting up, you know, our kills by notes of going like, okay, we're going to establish these friendships. We're going to see them at school. We're going to figure out why they all talk to each other. We're going to see that there's this secret in this town or in between these family members. Um, And then we're going to have people killed off until we get to a climax that's usually a party. And that's essentially what this was. They stole alcohol. We're going to go party at Mm -hmm. Lover's Lane. Um, We get in this. And then the we get an escape mental patient. We even get like literally, you know, d- stumbling across a house in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Uh-huh. That you use for refuge to hide from mm-hmm. the killer in. Um, you know, if if it's a trope, I mean, they've pretty much nailed most of them. Um, and we have a whodunit. We have a surprise twist at the end. We have... Um, the the wink at the sequel where the killer is not really dead. We have the the double tap moment where we think our killer dies in the explosion, but then they come back for one last mm-hmm. kill. Um, got it all, it, man. Like, damn, it works well as a slasher. No, it sure. really, it really does. The, I realistically, what it lacks the most is following a core character using our final girl to to push the the story right. along we don't do that and not all of these even at the top do that um but for the most part even what i mean nightmare on elm street you're following nancy the entire time that is her story she's telling and it's her growth and arc that you know defeat freddie in the end um my bloody valentine you have a little bit more of like the core cast kind of like this one um, coming together as opposed to following like one central, only seeing it from the final girl's perspective. Um, but I would say that's probably the same with Texas. I mean, it's Sally's story, but not really. It's the story of like all right. of the teens. Um, so it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be specifically the final girl's story, but at least in those ones, we do get um more focus on them or at least more of an right from them and that that's lasts. what my bloody valentine and texas both do so well is that even though we aren't following a final girl in the traditional sense of something like scream or halloween or nightmare like the when we do get to our final girl it is we like that character still has an arc it's very earned um it's very well-rounded like the, they manage to still work in all these character things uh, through the cast right so and like scream even mm-hmm. does that a little bit like yes we follow sydney and like she is our true and blue final girl but like it's her supporting characters that add all these little things just figuring out who sydney like, is yeah gail and Louie mm-hmm. and randy like you know they're they survive for a reason and it's because you right exactly so like for me i'm looking at it because like it does you know like it does miss the mark on some things like our final girl and boy don't have like the the most like um you know the most captivating arc and you know there's like uh also just like a lot of the kills are off screen um 
our, our killer does have an iconic weapon, but also is like barely ever seen, um, not like super present, not like in, in when he does show up, he or she um, isn't like super like rem- memorable or intimidating. Yeah. Memorable. It's not like we're going to go like, oh, okay. Like we totally remember the hook killer. Right. From, you know, so that's lane. It's not. So are you on the killer. list? Cause I'm going to highlight where I'm looking at. Okay. I'm looking yeah. at like right around, like right in here. Because it kind of fits with these. Like, it actually reminds me a lot of Hellfest. But I would actually say I like, I think Hellfest, I mean, I like it more. I don't know if it works more as a slasher, but I I, I know I like it more. Yeah, I don't think it works better as a slasher. I, I'm thinking a little bit higher than you. More like here, maybe? Uh, okay. Yeah. I think like it could be. Let's see. I would almost put it, man, maybe under prom night. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah, 1980. I was like, prom 1980. I was like, oh, prom night's really high. That's because it's the 1980 prom. Oh, yeah. Not the remake is not that good. Did we cover? Trope wise. We did cover remake, right? Yes, we did. Yeah, wow, it's higher up than I thought it would be. Like way higher up. Um, yeah, it's funny. I was I definitely thought about prom night too when we were watching this movie. Um, yeah, I am in this world for sure. So I think no matter what, it's it's right here in this world of like most likely to die, my super psycho sweet sixteen. But those definitely those work better as slashers because they do really follow those tropes pretty much to the T. Especially my super psycho sweet sixteen. But we have a more iconic right. killer that you can recognize from both of mm. those films, um, which you kind of either have to have right. one or the other, right? You kind of have to have like your mass giallo like killer um, that's really, or like your Black Christmas like killer, like Billy, who's really not present the whole time. And it's just the fear of right. this character, or you have to have your, you know, Michael, Freddy, like you know, iconic killer who embodies that. And this movie doesn't do either. So it like lands somewhere in the middle where it wants them to be like seen, but it's not powerful enough where most likely to die, um, sorority row, like those success, those succeed better at that. Trying to think of prom night. So, like, I'm really looking at prom night because I do think it functions better as a slasher than mutilator. Like, straight up, I do. Um, Because, like, Mm -hmm. mutilator, we do have the flashback Mm -hmm. stuff, but also same sort of thing where you have these central characters. We don't like none of the final characters are like really earn that. Um, You know, um, the kills elevate. Yeah, the kills really do. It it, it's tonally really off and doesn't do a lot of the slasher tropes that this film does correctly. Right. 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 So that's I'm like literally it, I'm just looking at like is it is it a better slasher than 1980s right because prom, prom night does the the back like you know the flashback trauma that uh, mm-hmm. prank right wrong. that affects them into the future um you know and like it's familiar. right and I like I will say though like similar final girl and the only reason like we I think we give her a little more credit is because it's Jamie Lee yeah um but very yeah. similar and she just elevates. You, you know what here this is what i i think this is why i give it edge oh why i give prom night edge over it um strictly mm-hmm. because because again with our killers like our killer in prom night is just wearing like a ski mask not super memorable but i will say 
like that decapitation scene in prom night is stellar um and like in the van scene so right and i so i think our kills are are better and like i literally think other than that like they're they're neck and neck yeah i mean you could probably swap them it really doesn't matter but yeah i'm fine with that i'm fine with prom night being above so prom night's our new number 27 and this will be our new number 28 um, so Lover's Lane from 1999, checking in one day before we hit the new millennium. Um, and if you guys somehow managed to internet sleuth your way into watching this, I actually do. Suggest- I had a lot of fun with it. I really did. Yeah, I did too. Like surprising. Like I said, I sat down, I watched it. Um, and I mean, I stayed off my phone. I was like genuinely that it... I will say like the opening scene's mm-hmm. not great and it definitely started off and I'm like, oh God, I see what Ryan's saying because he watched it before me. Like, what is this movie? And then instantly as so- the movie just gets far better once we get our actual cast of characters, it's a little poorly acted. I would say that like loses you a bit in that first, like our, our flashback yeah. scene. Once a movie gets going though, it's a ton of fun. And like I would definitely – if. If a nicer version was available, if it gets released, as definitely would be on my list of ones to like have people over and just watch a fun slasher. Yep, totally agree. Um, I will again. I'm going to start like championing to get this on some sort of boutique label because I think it, at the very minimum, deserves that. I mean, it just all depends on who owns it, and I mean, I'll do like a super quick search right now but as far as i could tell i couldn't even figure out I mean, like, like what wiki list amazon is one of the distributors but then also the sh- first look, well i think they used to have right. the rights and that's why it was on prime but first look pictures um which, does it doesn't look like they still exist 2010 is mentioned. they don't exist anymore yeah, yeah. so they they so, got bought out by millennium who got bought out by alchemy and then alchemy which isn't anymore alchemy it doesn't say who they were filed for alchemy has been defunct since 2016 so this i don't know who owns this like we um yeah funny enough is 2016 is for sure the year that i know it went up on prime i don't know when it got taken off prime but 2016 is. i I wonder if amazon picked it up maybe yeah so maybe Amazon owns the rights and for whatever reason is choosing not to have it hmm. streaming. Look at us. We're like, we're like, um, distributor. Awesome. Yeah. Distributor sleuths. Uh, I don't know enough about the industry and how that shit works to like, tell you like what those, why those decisions would be made. Maybe we have somebody who listens who does, but as far as we can tell, it looks like maybe Amazon video yeah. does own the it. The only person I've ever met who like, talked to me about that that i understood was turek like he could break that shit down for me and i was like oh okay but i I, yeah yeah cool so um yeah that is our new number 28 um happy valentine's day if you are celebrating and um we will be back next uh episode to talk about the movie dark ride which you can find streaming on amazon if you want to watch along it was part of the uh, movies after dark or uh, after dark horror fast movies, eight films to die for is what they were titled as. Um, so yeah. So you can find that on Amazon if you want to watch along, but until then keep screaming. <laughs>